Call for Action presents Of Consuming Interest, a public service show that discusses scams, deceptive offers, and other consumer concerns. Here's the director of WJLA 7 Call for Action and your host, Shirley Rooker. There's so many questions. Should you get vaccinated? Should you not get vaccinated? Why should you get vaccinated? Et cetera, et cetera. And of course, I'm sure our listeners know I'm talking about COVID-19 and the recent appearance of the Delta variant, which is causing a great deal of concern. And it seems to be highly infectious. So there is a reason for concern. We're gonna talk with Thomas Fiery today. He is a senior fellow at Cato, and we're gonna discuss the many questions surrounding it and why his take is, is that he believes that people are using the government, the fact that the government hasn't approved of two of the three main, main vaccines, given them complete approval and uh, believes that that's a, that's a reason that people are using. And he says that that's not really a good reason. Am I putting words in your mouth, Thomas? No, I think that's fairly accurate. Okay. So we, we hear people saying, okay, I don't want to get vaccinated because I'm afraid of it. I'm going to get side effects, et cetera. What are some of the reasons that people are using? Uh, the Kaiser Family Foundation, uh, which does some wonderful survey work on Americans' attitude attitudes toward healthcare, did a, a survey back in the latter half of July, talking to people who haven't received the vaccine about why they're not doing it. And reading their data, it basically points to three main reasons. The first is simply fear of side effects. Uh, and these can be both side effects that are the standard side effects we expect when we receive any sort of a vaccine. Uh, including our, our annual flu shot. This is sore arm, feeling logy, just things people don't like to experience and, and want to avoid. But there's also side effects that people fear a lot. And th there have been a few extreme side effects associated with these vaccines. They're extremely rare. They are, for the most part, treatable almost immediately. But we do have to recognize um, they, there's about, you know, depending on the particular one, you know, somewhere between one chance in hundreds of thousands to one chance in millions that you could get hit with uh, something, you know, somewhat more significant. Uh, uh, and again, the biggest ones probably that people have heard of is anaphylaxis, which is a, a re reaction, an allergic reaction, uh, you know, that can have with a lot of different vaccines. And that's why they ask you to sit there uh, after you've had your shot for 10 or 15 minutes uh, so they can observe you and make sure if you do start to experience symptoms, it can very quickly be treated the way you treat any other significant uh, okay. allergic reaction. Uh, but again, these are extremely rare. One case in hundreds of thousands to one case in millions. Yeah, exactly. I hear you. But you know, that, that still people have concerns putting foreign substances into their body when they're not sick. Why should they do that? I mean, I, I can understand that in some some fashion. Correct. Um, but now let's talk about the other two reasons people give, because okay. I think they're more interesting and more important. Uh, okay. A second reason they give is they simply don't think it's necessary that they are living their lives. They are not uh, encountering uh, COVID-19 or at least not encountering, encountering it in a significant way. You know, they might know someone who had it, but they you know, got better in a few days or a few weeks. And they think, I simply don't need this. And interestingly, these people seem to be generally more risk-taking. The, the largest demographic group among the Kaiser um, uh, survey data, the largest demographic group to be in this, uh, you know, to, to avoid 
vaccination, interestingly, is the uninsured. You would think if anyone, the uninsured would want to get this in case, you know, to avoid a, a medical cost. But uninsured people tend to be more risk-taking. That's uh, something we find in data, you know, across public policy and in the social sciences. They see uh, the shot they, you know, shots are unpleasant. Even I admit that I have a five-year-old who's going to go in for his shots later this week. He's not very excited about it. Uh, and, you know, as adults, we're not either. Um, so these are risk-taking people who would rather take the risk of COVID-19 than, you know, than to, uh, or, or at least they don't think it's much of a risk. And if we look at the data, in a sense, it's not. I mean, if about 650,000 people have died over the last 18 months from COVID-19. Uh, so, you know- In the United States. In the United States, uh, out of 330 million or so people. So about, what is that? About uh, half a of a- percentage. Per half of a percent. But if you yeah. keep it, you know, keep it in mind. So that's one person in 5,000 dying of it. You know, compare that to the risks that people were talking about of the severe side effects, where it's one chance in millions. Um, you know, it would seem to me that the risk I would rather take is the one chance in millions than the one chance in five, 5,000. Okay. But, you know, risk takers are, you know, I am not a natural risk taker. Some people are. And, and that's, so, you know, I, I just have to look at them and say, well, they're, they're just different than I am. I still would very much prefer and very much encourage them to take it. But now I want to talk about a third class, the third big class in the Kaiser data who don't want to get this. And they say it's because they don't trust the vaccines and, and or they don't trust the government. And certainly there are some examples uh, that would support this. We can think of uh, the Tuskegee uh, experiments on uh, rural African-Americans where oh, yes. they, Terrible situation. they claimed the, the government claimed they were treating them for their syphilis, but in fact, they were not. They were just observing what happens when, when uh, syphilis gets severe on people. You know, the, some, you know, African-Americans have an understandable pause about uh, U.S. Yeah. vaccinations and medical care. Uh, but other large groups that are avoiding this are Republicans, uh, rural residents, people who basically are much more likely to have supported Donald Trump in the 2016 and 2020 elections. And I look at this and I think, is there really a mental block here with these people that if they go in for their vaccination, do they realize that they are de facto admitting that, that Donald Trump mishandled or slash misled well, I, I them. I don't agree. I don't agree with that evaluation. Okay, go ahead. I, I mean, I'll take I'll take issue with that because Trump was the one that actually started the vaccine, and I, I, I really question the validity of that. But I don't want to get into a political discussion here. That is not my goal at all. Fair enough. What I want to discuss is what the processes that the FDA is going through, and why we haven't gotten approval of a drug that's being administered so widely. And the other part that I want to talk about is um, the, the fact that the FDA is blocking some drugs from coming into the United States. What, you know, what is the purpose of that? You know, is this big pharma behind it? Who's, why are they doing that? But, but, and then beyond that, the other thing that interests me, Tom, Thomas, is what about the people who have had COVID, who got it? who got over it and now have the antibodies. Why in the world should they get vaccinated? I don't see any reason why they should. Uh, but anyway, we'll take up that question in a minute. But in the meantime, we're gonna take a brief pause here 
to let our guests know that they're listening to Of Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. You're tuned into Of Consuming Interest. My guest is Thomas Fiery. He is a senior fellow at Cato, and we're talking about the reluctance of people to get vaccines and so on. Um, and they don't trust the vaccine, they don't trust the government. And, and that can go back a long ways from some of the things that have happened and they are scared of side effects, all of which seem to be, um, certainly the side effects is not a big deal as far as I've been hearing. I do know some people who took got the shot and got sick, but uh, my husband and I've had it and it didn't bother us, but, but we were in the age group that it was recommended that we be sure to get it. So anyway, um, so going back into the, to that, you were talking about there have been studies and so on about the people who are not doing it. Talk about the process that the FDA and that people, some people are using the excuse that the FDA is not approved the, the Moderna and the Johnson and Johnson one. They have given, now they have given the Pfizer one full approval, is that correct? That's correct for people age 16 and over. Okay, and so the uh, the other ones, then the Moderna and the J and J, are having to go through the process. Is that correct? Correct, correct. For a, a new drug to be uh, legally marketed in the United States, it has to basically, usually, I should, I should, everything, you know, everything with the federal government, you have to put a, an asterisk and say, except in these unusual circumstances. But we'll talk usually. Uh, usually has to go through a three-step FDA approval process. Uh, roughly speaking, and, and again, far more complexity, but I'm going to boil it down and make it very kind of simple for you to keep sure. in mind. Roughly speaking, uh, there are three stages of drug, of uh, clinical trials on these drugs. The very first stage is some people who are perfectly healthy and perfectly fine are administered the drug, other people are administered a placebo, and they're simply observed to make sure that some sudden you know, negative health effect doesn't appear. You're just looking right. for right. simple safety with these people. Uh, if the drug passes that step, they go to a second one where again, there it's there's a double blind testing. There's a control group who gets a placebo, a, uh, a test group that gets the uh, that gets the medication that's being investigated. And this time they're looking for its effectiveness to see if it actually does treat the, the disease that it needs mm -hmm. to treat. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then finally, the third uh, step is they then have very large testing groups. And here they're looking for the complexities that you would see in the real world. Okay, not only are you getting this vaccine and it's safe, not only are you getting this medication, it gets any sort of medication, not just a vaccine, uh, are you getting this medication and it's effective in treating its targeted uh, mm -hmm. uh, illness, yeah. but what are the reactions with other things that you might eat, drink, encounter your strange, your, your body's unusual uh, physiology, uh, uh, you know, your various living conditions, whatever, to try to see if there are any other interactions that might be something worrisome that the federal government will want to know before granting approval. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I will asterisk this a little bit and say there's a little bit of looking out for these things in all three cases, but generally speaking, this is what you're doing in each of the three stages. First one, you're sure. looking at safety. Second one, you're looking at effectiveness. Third one, you're looking at interactions that could create mm -hmm. problems. Sure. And once the federal government gets lots and lots and lots of data, on this, uh, 
uh, then they will consider whether or not to approve a drug. And I want to- There was a temporary uh, approval given to these to use because there was such concern about COVID. Correct. There, one Even thing that's important, Pfizer, which has been approved now, was also being used in one of these stages being given to consumers. So there's been a ton of drugs given out there. Correct. It's, it's important for your listeners to keep in mind that there is no magic platonic form of each mm-hmm. of these drugs testing stages. There's no magic number that says once you have passed this number of, of test subjects and gotten this percentage of, of uh, responses back, you definitely move on to this step. And, and again, then there's magic numbers. These are all uh, numbers that have kind of been chosen based somewhat on science, but also just, uh, you know, I won't say pulling a number out of a hat, but they've sure. been stipulated. The numbers have been stipulated. Sure. We want classes this size to test, this classes this size showing this reaction to say it's okay. Uh, the three drugs that are approved now were, and two of them still are, um, initially approved under what's called emergency use authorization, EUA. You see those letters together which means they were well into the third stage of testing and had received excellent results, but hadn't gone completely through, but they were through enough that, you know, in the judgment, and again, this is only a judgment call, in the judgment of the FDA, it was far better for people to start having these vaccinations and, and face the risk that there might be something missed, you know, that only would be discovered further on in the test than to be at risk of COVID. And an important thing to, to keep in mind, and my colleague uh, Jeff, and my colleague at Cato, Jeff Singer, who is an MD and very much, very carefully follows uh, drug approval processes, pointed out that to his knowledge, and I think I've seen other people say this as well, to his knowledge, with one exception, pretty much every drug that has been approved I'm sorry, every side effect, worrisome side effect that has been detected by the FDA has been detected within two months. So, so it's there, not a long time lag between the, the, those occurrences. I gotcha. Mm-hmm. That's right. But, you know, we've been administering, you know, Pfizer since late December, the Pfizer vaccine under EUA. We have been administering Moderna since January. I think, um, I believe J&J came out in February or March. So, you know, we're well past the two-month, you know, uh, observation period. even so, this process has been faster than the FDA usually does it. Absolutely. Sometimes it can take two or three years to get a vaccine approved or longer. Or more, or more. You know, there's there's talks that drug companies complain that, you know, from start to finish, it's often 10 years to get a drug, you know, and that includes the drug company's own internal testing. Sure. And there's, and, you know, this has been a fight that's been going on forever. You know, what, again, because these, there is no magic platonic form of exactly how long a drug test should be. These are numbers that have been stipulated with, with, you know, with some scientific reason behind it, but yet sometimes exceptions really are need to be made. There's nothing, there's nothing magical about the numbers that they chose. Right. Right. Yeah. So I guess that was taken into consideration when the government did issue the emergency authorized use of the, of the medication. So, well, at any rate, it seems to be working in many ways. Um, But in the next segment, I want to talk about the people who've had COVID 
And why is the government saying that everybody should get a vaccine? And how do you all at Cato feel about the fact that the government is talking about imposing mandatory vaccines? I just got through reading an article saying that the, that is, the Constitution doesn't give the government permission to do that. It's a very interesting uh, discussion that's going on here. But at any rate, let's just take a brief pause to let our listeners know they're tuned into Of Consuming Interest. You're listening to a Consuming Interest. I'm Shirley Rooker. Uh, my guest is Thomas Fiery. He is a senior fellow with Cato. And we're talking about COVID. And it has caused so many problems. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, uh, loss of jobs, everything. I mean, an overreaction, I think, in some cases by the government in terms of some of the programs that have been taken. Who knows? I mean, I'm not going to go into that debate. But what I am interested in is talking about the people who have had COVID, and yet there seems to be no discussion about natural immunity, which as we know is, is there. I mean, it's, it's how people got over diseases before we had vaccines. Um, and if you survived them, generally you had lifelong immunity to these things. What are we seeing? And I, I realize, as you said, you're not a doctor, but what, what is being seen now in terms of why should people who have it, had it, who've had COVID and have antibodies, they've tested, they've proven that they have, why should they be required to be vaccinated? That's a good question. Um, they're trying to think which way to go because there are two important points to bring out. Let me, let me just do a, a little bit of science uh, okay. behind it. And then we can talk about the, uh, okay. more the policy. The science side is the the vaccines you receive tend to give you a few different types of protection. Uh, one is it gives you the initial antibodies that block the COVID virus, the, the uh, SARS-CoV-2, if we mm -hmm. want to be technically correct, from, you know, from bonding into your cells to begin with and infecting you. But there are a couple other types of protection where the vaccines teach your body to recognize if this virus does get in to generate uh, various types of cells that then basically eat the virus and kill it and you get rid of it. So you have one type of protection that tries to keep it from getting in the door to begin with. And then two other types of protection that once it's got into the door, it then stops it right after it's gotten into the door. The indications we have is that initial blocking the door may not last as long, but the other types of protection may last for years. And so that's great news. So we've been hearing a little bit about what are called breakthrough cases. Well, but where... the, the vaccine is not lasting for years because we're we're now being told that you need to get a third shot. And, you know, that I think that's making a lot of people awfully uncomfortable. Right. It hasn't, you know, the FDA, I'm sorry, the um, uh, CDC coming out and recommending that is probably accurate but probably not helpful, at least unless they had explained it much better to people why they're re recommending it. The thinking is they want, with this vaccination, they can boost up that first line of defense more mm -hmm. and also maybe boost up the, the big concern. And now this is moving more you know, away from what's going on in, with you physiologically and going a little bit bigger. The big concern about th this, this uh, virus 
is that it mutates just like anything else. Right. It, right. It, little bit of changes, you know, reproductive uh, glitches, and some of these Figures mutations. Figures out ways to get around all the things you've done to try to stop it. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so there is concern that um, natural immunities will block some of that, and your your own natural immunity will evolve as well. You know, depending on how much you're exposed to these viruses, and your natural immunity will then you know figure out sooner or later how to stop it. Unfortunately, sometimes it's later and not sooner, and you can get very very sick, and maybe even you know beyond well, I, very very I sick. I think this is such an unknown area. But my my I guess my bigger question is okay let's what if you have been tested you found that you have very strong antibodies against this this virus but yet some some companies are saying well if you don't get vaccinated you're not going to come to work I mean isn't isn't there something awfully short sighted about this viewpoint I mean I'm I'm trying to be fair to everybody. I know people who have had COVID and do not want to get a vaccine because sometimes you get a reaction if you've had COVID and you get the vaccine. So I feel like we have not been well served by the information that has been given to us. Right. This It gets it very complex. Nervous. It makes me nervous to think about having to go get a third shot. It Why gets should I have to get a third shot? I thought I got the shots. You know, I mean, it's... Um, it's, it's a little disconcerting, I should say. It gets very complex. And, <laughs> you know, I'm going to try to explain their thinking. And I appreciate it. I don't know. About a minute and a half. Sure, sure. Two minutes. What they're thinking is if you get a booster, your system will be better able to quickly adapt if a new variant comes out and you encounter it, that it will figure it out and stop it quickly. There has there's been an interesting couple of articles just in the last day or two about what is called super immunity. Mm -hmm. And this is there are some people out there who seem to be incredibly immune to variants that uh, are especially that look like they're especially dangerous, including one variant that was human engineered trying to figure out, well, you know, what will this bugger, you know, what uh, do yeah. very, you know, in the future. And they thought this thing was incredibly dangerous. And people with super immunity stop it dead. Now, what what people seem Why to be getting, they have it? What people seem to be getting super immunity? It's people who were infected first, got better, and then got the vaccine. The specifically the mRNA vaccines, either the Pfizer or the Moderna. Mm -hmm. So you know, if if you've had it, you're you know you're you have a degree of immunity, but your degree of immunity is going to be boosted they believe significantly uh, from what by I'm, getting the what vaccines being right. But it, I guess, and I'm, I'm kind of taking their side on this, but I've been vaccinated. So it's not that I'm anti-vaccine, but I understand why they don't want to get it. I, I mean, can understand. Yeah. I, I totally understand that. And we have friends and we've had discussions about this. Um, and, and in some cases we have families where one person has gotten the COVID they haven't really done anything to protect the other person and the other person hasn't gotten it, which is a really interesting to me. It makes all of this very complex. You know, Thomas, we're never going to find the answers in the one little half hour program, but it's been certainly interesting and educational. And I think it is something people need to seriously think about in terms of, of vaccine and, and uh, their approach to it, you know. Is it going to protect you? Is it going to be protect your family, et cetera? But thank you so much for being with us today. It's been very interesting. 
let's hope that we don't have to have a discussion about this in the near future or in the future. So anyway, thank you, Thomas. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, you Shelley. You've been listening to Of Consuming Interest. My guest has been Thomas Fiery, who is a senior fellow at Cato, and he's provided us some interesting information on vaccinations, the process for uh, approving vaccines, and the status of shots in this country. I'm Shirley Rooker. Thank you for joining us. Of Consuming Interest is a public service program presented by WJLA 7 Call for Action, hosted by Shirley Rooker. Call for Action is an international nonprofit network of hotlines which offer free and confidential assistance. If you have a complaint, contact Call for Action at 301-652-HELP. That's 301-652-HELP.